Welcome to the Grant Writing Simplified Podcast. This is the place to learn how to make a big impact in your community through grant writing and nonprofit consulting. The world needs you to step forward as a grant writer and use your skills to lead with confidence. I'm Teresa Huff, former special ed teacher turned grant writer and nonprofit strategist. In my 20 years of freelancing, I've helped nonprofits triple their funding and exponentially increase their reach. Now I'm stepping up to mentor freelancers and nonprofit leaders like you who are ready to take your skills to the next level. It's time to get intentional about your vision so you can create lasting change in your community. Learn the skills and strategies you need to become the grant writer the world needs. Let's do this. Hey friends, welcome to Grant Writing Simplified episode 31. I am excited about today's guest because first of all, this wraps up our mentoring series. If you've missed out on the previous episodes, go back to the last several episodes and catch up on those because this has been such a great series with lots of good advice. And today's guest, we had so much fun. I had a blast talking with Katherine Bright. She is a certified resume writer, career coach, and a freelance content creator. She's been a freelancer for several years. And so I brought her on just to talk about the challenges of freelancing, having kids at home, trying to keep things balanced. And she is such a fun person. I wish you guys could chat with her the way I did because she just brings so much joy and lights up a room. So we had a lot of fun. This mentoring series has been so good. I've had some amazing people on the show And it just speaks to the importance of mentoring and finding a good mentor, whatever that may look like. That might not be a traditional sit-down meeting like we've talked about in the past episodes. It might be something a little outside the box, and that's okay. Look for that. But today we talk a little more on the personal side and the challenges of freelancing, but also the challenges of being good stewards of our home and the elusive work-life balance. What is that anyway, really? (laughs) Catherine shares how to really stand out on platforms like Upwork or other job search platforms. We talk about not being afraid to just get out there and try something new or using your skills in a new way. We talk a lot about learning from our mistakes. We all have experience with that, right? We share some of the challenges of being a consultant and sometimes turning down work, which can even be for the client's good, not necessarily for our own business, but because we know it's in the best interests of the client. So lots of good stuff in here today. I hope you enjoy. Shoot me a message and let me know how it's going. And if you are interested in learning grant writing, then let's step it up together. Check out my resources at TeresaHuff.com to see what's right for you in this season that you're in, and let's get you moving faster. I think you'll enjoy this episode. This was a lot of fun to put together. So here we go. Catherine, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Tell us a random fact about yourself. Uh, One random fact about myself is I love to clean. I love cleaning. I'm a little obsessed with it. So I I don't know if I'd say, I mean, I guess I'm kind of a neat freak, but it's never neat. So I'm always cleaning. Like for my birthday, we send our kids to someone's house and we just clean for like eight hours and I'm like in heaven. So Wow. Wow. I know, right? And I think that I realized that I'm going to, especially as a mom of little kids, 
who always make a mess, like, I'm going to be cleaning so much, so I better learn to love it. And I have. (laughs) Because I have to. Way to embrace it. I'm always, like, finding new hacks and new products and new, like, I have, like, a chart you know, like a chore chart that I use for myself that I just find so much like joy and satisfaction in. And I know it's a little nerdy, but I think, I also think part of it is, you know, being a good steward of your home. And so there's like a deeper level. Like I like things that are clean, but I also like feeling like I'm taking care of my home and my, my belongings. And so I love cleaning. Like after this interview, I told my husband, I was like, I got to clean after. And he's like, okay, <laughs> well, come on over. Uh, right? I got a house you can clean. Right? Okay. I wish I could. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. So. That's awesome. And what a great way to look at that because I don't love cleaning. I love having my house neat and picked yeah. up, but I don't love the cleaning part of it. I'm more of an organizer and, yeah. you know, I go to my sister's house and I fix her pantry and turn everything just right. so and organize all the jars, but yeah. yeah. So it's interesting, but I like that way of looking at it of we're here to steward it and take good care of it, but also finding fun ways to make it more enjoyable for you. Yeah. You know, whether that's a chart or a checklist or stickers or something. Yeah. And I, I, you know, my kids are starting to pick on, pick up and I know that, you know, they're so little, they're not going to do it perfectly. It would be faster if I just did it, but I'm teaching them. And so, you know, as I get a little older, I'm going to try to think of like stickers or some way to kind of incorporate, because like my chore magnet board is like sacred, like no one touches (laughs) that but me. So I got to get them like their own. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, because if there's ever a day when they come and mix it all up, that could be bad. Not good. It's happened a few times and we're like, kids, you can't, but oh no. so I love cleaning. It is my idea of joy, even though I know that's kind of ridiculous. (laughs) Maybe if I talk to you more, that'll rub off on me because I need to step that up. (laughs) Sounds good. But the thing is, Teresa, like if you came to my house, you wouldn't think like, oh, this is very clean, you know, because there's this struggle between order and chaos and I'm always trying to get it to order, but there's more Mm -hmm. chaos. So I may not Mm -hmm. look as clean as I sound like I am, but I try. (laughs) I try. Okay. Well, that's good. And you enjoy trying. So that's a plus. Yes. Yep. And with, yeah. yeah, with little ones, it's hard to sustain clean. Even if you clean and you've got little people right. coming behind you. Yeah. So I guess if you just look at it as you're maintaining and you're showing them, you're setting a good example and helping them be a part of it instead of yelling at them for making their messes and teaching them, that's a good way to look at it. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us how you got here. You're working at home now with little ones at home and I'm sure that's not what you've always done since they're young. So how did you get to this point? So I graduated in with a degree in teaching and education and I I kind I didn't go immediately as a full-time teacher. I kind of taught part-time. I taught elementary. I taught junior high. I taught high school. But then I also started getting into the writing. Like seven years ago or something, I started a personal blog on WordPress. And I, you know, I have no marketing training or business training or sales training, but I slowly started to learn about like search engine optimization and driving traffic to your website and content creation and and social media. And I knew there was something there. I didn't quite know how people made money from blogging or whatever. But the turning point for me was I, I worked for a woman who was a therapist and she 
built her business from scratch by doing a blog, doing videos, doing content creation. And she was able to expand from just her to like 20 therapists. And she never had any problem getting clients, even in the downturn of the economy. And she needed someone to keep up her blog. And she hired me to do that. And I was like, man, this is powerful. You know, just, I mean, it's, she doesn't spend any money on marketing. She just does it all herself and people come to her. And so I worked for her for a while. And then I was like, I need to expand. There are other people who I could write for, um, but I just don't know how to find them. Right. And I learned about Upwork. Well, and I'm sure that your listeners know that Upwork is a freelance platform for freelance service providers and people needing their services, clients. It's kind of that middleman site. And for all kinds of jobs, right? Yes. Yes. For marketers, for writers, translators, graphic designers, photography, any, any digital service, right? Where there's not a physical product being exchanged. And so I started on there. It kind of took me a little time to get my footing because there's a lot of writers and there's a lot of editors, but how do you make yourself stand out, right? Because the more niched you are, the more you're able to get work and raise your prices and all that and stand out. And um, I found Laura Briggs, who I love, and I know you've talked to Laura. Yes. Um, from a couple years ago, even before she started writing books, I I found her on YouTube and just quick little videos she did about Upwork and freelancing, and they were so helpful. I got in her group on Facebook. I eventually bought all her, her two books. And mm-hmm. I realized that I really loved the career field, meaning resumes, career coaching, all that kind of stuff. And so I started offering, I learned a little bit about resumes, started offering those services. And I realized there was a huge market for this that I totally didn't even know before. And the more I became niched on Upwork, the more I was able to find clients and build myself. Um, I ended up getting certified as a professional resume writer. I didn't even know that was a thing until I found it and took the course. And so, yeah, that's how I got here. And I feel like I love, I've always loved helping people in their job search and working with college students who are kind of in career exploration. So I feel like the best of my skills and my talents I've been able to like use for this purpose. So Mm -hmm. that's amazing to find something when you feel like you can pull all that together and how, if you were to just look on paper at your background, it might look very disconnected, but when it weaves together, you realize now each part of that actually contributed to you being able to do this at this point. Exactly. And like being a teacher, like I have a teacher mentality. Like I want to teach people. I want to educate people. And, you know, I had a friend who was also a teacher and she realized she's like, I want to teach people who are there because they want to learn. If you're teaching eighth grade math, your students probably don't want to be there. But if you're teaching, like, you know what I mean? Yes. Teachers are great. But I mean, if you have people who are willing to pay you, they obviously want to learn. And they're more motivated. And so you don't feel like you're talking to a wall. And so I get to be a teacher. I get to be a writer. I get to be kind of a career specialist. And yeah, like you said, so bringing all those skills and backgrounds and kind of finding that um, sweet spot. 
Mm-hmm. That's kind of parallel to mine because I used to be a teacher too. Okay. In the classroom, I taught special ed. Oh. And so now I really like teaching people the grant writing piece. And it's right. like, I keep being drawn to that of how can I form this in a way that makes sense? How can I put this in logical points? Yeah. And, you know, all those elements that you learn in teaching, it just kind of becomes a part of how you do things. Right. And so with the writing part, it all contributes and goes together to that. Yeah. Exactly. One thing that I really, I like what you said about, I know SEO, which is search engine optimization and some of those marketing pieces there at the time when those started becoming popular, it's not like you could have gone and gotten a degree in those. You just kind of had to learn and watch the changing landscape. That's how a lot of freelancing stuff is now. Yeah. And even with grant writing, a lot of it is learning as you go and watching using the resources that are out there, practicing it, tweaking it, getting better and better and improving that over time to where you just kind of start to build your muscles in that way. So whether it's grant writing, SEO, blogging, you know, all the different skill sets that are available now, that helps it not be quite so intimidating. Like start with where you are and just start learning and getting better and practicing and then you can go from there. And learning from your mistakes. I have made so yes. many mistakes as a freelancer, but you know, I realize I could like quit because I'm so embarrassed or I hide my head in shame or I could be like, "You know what? You never were taught how to do this and you're being brave by trying and you're going to make some mistakes, but that'll make you much better the next time." You know. Yes. So. Yes, I'm glad you mentioned that. It's so true. And in grant writing, especially because if you write the grant and you don't get it, it's okay. It happens. It's not the end of the world. You try again. Yeah. You reapply. You figure out what you did wrong, what you could do better next time. And sometimes it's not anything you did wrong. It's right. just a right. matter of how it worked out. The client did something else. The program changed. Right. There are so many factors. Right. So you can't beat yourself up over that. You have to learn from it. Yeah. And and like that, I mean, that's like a resume. You could have an amazing resume, but it doesn't get you the job because you don't have any control over the pool of applicants. Exactly. And it, in sales, you know, for me, as I'm trying to get jobs, you're not going to get every job you apply for. And just like you're not going to get every grant. And so realizing that's just part of like, getting good at rejection, mm-hmm. you know, you get a tough skin and you don't take it personally because I think of it as going fishing. Like, hey, let's see what I can catch. Oh, didn't catch that one. Didn't catch that. Oh, but I got this one. And so you're never going to catch every fish, but that doesn't mean you can't catch some. Right. And you keep going back. You don't let that stop you from ever going again. Exactly. Right. Yeah, definitely. It just takes time and you don't want every job that's out there. Yes. If you applied for 10 jobs, you can't handle 10 jobs. Right. You just need the right job. Exactly. Right. So yeah, that's a good reminder and encouragement to remember that. So what's your favorite way now to serve clients? Well, I love helping them in their overall strategy because a lot of my clients, they think all you need is a good resume. You know, as if I can just get my resume awesome, I'll get this job or people start hiring me for interviews. And I'm like, the resume is one piece of the puzzle. We also need to look at how you're finding jobs, right? Because applying to listings on LinkedIn or Monster is not, I'm not saying that doesn't have its place. I've gotten a job from LinkedIn, but it is not the most efficient way to get jobs. And so I really like, I mean, they come to me because they need a resume, but 
they come to me really because they need a job or they need to earn more money or they hate their job and want to change. And so looking kind of beyond the resume to have a holistic strategy for job searching, for branding themselves as a professional in their field from even creating content on LinkedIn, which I love doing. And so I really like looking at the whole picture. You're really good at that too. Oh, thank you. That's really kind of you to say. Yeah, you have a lot of great posts. Thanks. Yeah. And you know, that's what you're saying is so interesting because it's so parallel to grant writing. A lot of nonprofits come to me wanting to jump into grant writing and they think that's what they need. That's going to solve their money issues. That's Mm -hmm. the next step when really we need to look at the bigger strategy of, are you ready? What are you really looking for? What are your programs like? And look at that first before we jump into grant writing. So it's just like you with the resume and the career search, that's only one piece of it. There's a much bigger picture that you need to have all of that in place first to be more effective. Yeah. So are you saying that like some people will come to you and hope to get your help with grant writing, but you're like, you need to improve your nonprofit first and kind of, okay. If I didn't, I'd be doing them a disservice. Right. Because they're paying for you. And yeah, yeah. I could just say, sure, let's write some grants. But if they're not ready for grants, they're not going to be successful. Yeah. It's not going to make them feel good about it. They're going to think I'm a terrible grant writer. <laughs> and yeah. so it's not a good situation. It's a lose lose. Right. So if you look at the bigger picture first and get those strategies in place and then help them be ready for grants, then they'll be a lot more successful when they do apply. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that just speaks to how good you are as a service provider because you could take their money and do it, even though you know it's probably not going to be effective, but you are looking out for the best interests of them as well. Right. And in the long run, that's better for everybody, for my reputation, for theirs, that's true. for all of us. Exactly. And a lot of that, like you said, goes back to being born from many mistakes over the years and learning what not to do, learning right. the hard way that, okay, we need to really prepare for this first before we yeah. go after that grant and just yeah. taking all that together over time. Yeah. Well, and I remember, and this this probably happens to you more than me, but I had somebody come to me and they were like, okay, this is a stretch job, but I want to apply for it. And I, I looked really closely at the job and I looked really closely at their experience. And I said, I'm sorry, but you don't stand a chance. <laughs> like you could pay me, but let's get you experience to get you to this type of job. But if you pay me right now, you'd be wasting your money. And they were like, that was, thank you for telling me mm-hmm. that. And then I helped them with something else. And so Mm -hmm. looking out for their best interests and and being honest, you know, there are stretch jobs that are good to apply to, but you know, if you have only run a mile, you don't want to run a marathon. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. You've got to build up to that. And that's a good goal to set and something to work towards, but maybe in a little smaller increments. Exactly. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. And that's kind of a fine line sometimes as a consultant to know, when to really encourage and push the client versus when they need a dose of reality. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So some tough love sometimes. Yeah. But I mean, that's why they, I mean, they're, they have to be open to feedback. They know they need help or else they wouldn't come to us. So I'll be honest with them. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's better in the long run for everyone. 
Exactly. So behind the scenes as a freelancer, take us a little bit behind your job and what you do and just some of the challenges, because I know people who have never freelanced or been a consultant might have always been in a job and they might think, oh, wow, that's so different. That's so much easier. It might not be what they imagine. And vice versa, if you've always freelanced, you might not understand the nuances of an actual full-time job in an office. Right. So yeah, tell us about that and what you've discovered over the years. Well, so behind the scenes, I always say that if you're a freelance solopreneur, you're the CEO, the chief everything officer, right? Yes. You do marketing, you do sales, you fulfill the work, you do payment collection, you do reputation management, you do damage control, you know, everything. And I love that. I love having total control over all of those areas. So when somebody hears the rates I charge, they're like, oh my gosh. And I'm like, yeah, but not everything is billable. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not like I go in and clock in, you know, you said contrasting it with the job job. It's not like I go in and clock in and every second I'm doing something, I get paid. You know, I only get paid if I can make the sale, if I can find the lead, convert the lead and do the work. And that's another reason to charge high because you're not getting compensated for all of it. So I am uh, marketing. So on Upwork, you can apply for jobs, but also people can come to you. And if they come to you, you're already that much closer to the sale because they're already interested in you. They know they've seen your kind of work history or the kind of reviews or the job success score you have. And I'm really blessed that I've gotten to a point where I don't apply for jobs. They all come to me. That's awesome. It is. And it's, I mean, I didn't get there overnight, you know? So when I help newbie freelancers, I'm like, this is a goal because, you know, I talked about fishing, like the fish jump in my boat and I decide if I want to keep them. And it's so, that's so much more effective than going fishing and hoping to catch something. Yes. So much easier, but it took a long time, I bet, to get to that point. It did. It did because I had to, you know, build up my work history and, you know, I mean, the more jobs you have, the more people are like, okay, this person knows what they're doing. They're trustworthy. And the higher you charge, the more value, perceived value at least you have. And so when I started raising my rates, I was like, this is going to deter some people. But I found that the opposite happened. It brought out more elite, higher paying clients. And I was like, hey, this is awesome. More of the kind you would want to work with that aren't looking to just nickel and dime. Exactly, right? Right. And if, you know, if the first thing they ask me is, hey, can you go cheaper? I'm like, I'm willing to negotiate. But if that's the first thing you ask me, I don't think I want to work with you. Right. (laughs) That's an indication of more to come. Right, exactly. Yeah, you got to pre-qualify or vet your leads or your clients. Yeah, so I'm not necessarily applying to jobs, but I'm answering inquiries. And that depends on the type of project. And it also depends on my time because I don't, I don't work a whole lot, Teresa. I don't, in this season of my life, I do not have a lot of time to work. So the time I do have, I really want it to be worth it. Right. So you can really be more discerning about the kind of work and the kind of clients you want to take on. Whereas it's like at the beginning, I mean, I kind of think of it as like if someone who's like an actor in Hollywood, like I'll take what I can get. But if you're more seasoned, then you can be more selective, which is, I think, should be every freelancer's goal. Yes, that's something I talked about with our small group the other day, that our grant writing coaching group was, you can say no. 
if it's a client that is not a good fit or you just get a bad feeling about it, if something's not right, it's your business. You can say no. Yeah. Well, and when I first was thinking about this issue, I was like, yeah, but what if I never get another inquiry? What if they were my Mm -hmm. only chance for a job? And so I understand that fear of losing leads or, you know, not having anyone in the, like, I remember, Oh my gosh. I remember when I was in labor with my youngest, I was like, I haven't gotten a job in a while. And my job success score just dropped a point. And my husband was like, you're about to have a baby, like stop. And I was like, Oh yeah, like you're right. (laughs) So we can, yeah. And so we can very easily become obsessive about that. Right. And I've gotten more confident and more at peace instead of having anxiety about my leads or why didn't that person get back to me? And so I think that's a common thing with freelancers is there's a lot of anxiety as you are learning the ropes and kind of establishing yourself. Right. We put a lot of pressure on ourselves, especially when we're new to do things right. Right. And we have this idea that we have to do it right. But sometimes it does take some of the experimentation or you're going to trip up or make some mistakes here and there. You're going to have a client you just didn't love quite so much. Right. That's part of the process. It's part of learning and it's okay. Yeah, exactly. And just to be kind of go easy on your, I mean, still have high expectations for yourself and do your best work and perform excellent work. But hey, I didn't know that. And now I do. And so you get smarter every mistake you make, hopefully. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. You can use that for the next time. And even in the past, there were things that happened that I can use now as examples of either what to do or what not to do, or here's what I should have done differently, knowing what I know now. And that can help others to learn from my mistakes or just my ignorance at the time. Right. Right. Love it. You get it. I love talking to other freelancers because they totally get it. Um, I know. It's like we're speaking a language here. Yeah. And I mean, if you think about like before I was a freelancer, I would hear these terms like commission only for sales jobs. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that sounds so intimidating. Like what if I can't make the sale? I still want to get paid. But I mean, as freelancers, you're commission only. You only get paid if you get the sale. Right. Right. But you kind of are in a sense, but it's for yourself instead of for someone else. Yeah. And you know, if you can hit that sweet spot where you you learn there there is a market for this skill and I can do it and people will pay me, like that's awesome. Like, how did you find out there was a market for grant writing? And how did you how did you get into that? I started out when I was teaching, I wanted to stay home with my kids mm-hmm. when we started a family. And I heard about a lady who did grant writing. And it was something I had always thought sounded interesting, but at the time Google wasn't really a thing. So (laughs) I couldn't just look it up like you can now to learn about it. And so I met with her and we chatted and she's such a good grant writer. And she, at the end of the conversation said, you know, I've been building a team of grant writers and I'm looking to add somebody else if you'd be interested. And so I jumped at the chance and I worked with her for a couple of years on her team. So I just kind of did my section of it, but I got to see how the whole process worked and learn a lot from her. And then when we moved away, I branched out on my own and then just word of mouth, really it went from there. That's awesome. So you saw something that you were interested in, but you couldn't necessarily research on your own. It sounds like you were really proactive and talking to her and then she saw that you were interested and had 
a talent and brought you kind of under her wing and then here you Mm -hmm. are now. Right. And it just, it took a lot of time, but I knew I liked writing. And what I didn't know at the time was with my special ed training of designing goals and objectives and having to write all those things in the paperwork and my research for my master's degree, all that was really helpful in writing grants and researching some of the statistics and putting things together well. So it all kind of tied together in a way I wouldn't have thought at the time when I was trying to decide what to major in in college. (laughs) I love it. I love how it's kind of like, well, it's very similar to me that you're, I, these, these things all come together perfectly at the right time. And you're like, yes, yes, yes. Right. And now I like, it's similar to what you said. I like helping with the bigger strategy of the nonprofit to help them take that higher step to look at more long-term, what's their vision and how can we help you get there as opposed to just living from grant to grant or from donation to donation. Let's look at a bigger, successful, long-term strategy to build that more sustainable nonprofit. Well, and I just think from what I understand, the nonprofit space can be hard, you know? Yes, it is. Right? But because I imagine like there's so many like do-gooders who want to make a difference in the world, but it's so much more than just a good idea to like get off the ground, stay off the ground. And so I imagine you get to help all these great causes who need money, which is awesome. Well, the thing I love about it is when my kids were little like yours, Mm -hmm. I could work at home from my laptop with my kids at home. I could work during nap time or whatever. And a lot of times it was very part-time depending on the season that we were in. And I could make a huge difference in a community. Just From at home with my kids, you know, I loved that about it because then I could see, wow, this, this got so much technology and books for this entire school district and for their library or this food pantry for the whole county has a lot more food for the next three years. Like things like that. I could never go out and do myself. Right. And you're getting paid. So it blesses your own family. Right. Right. Yeah. And building skills. Yeah. That's so cool. Well, and like as a freelancer, as a resume writer and a career coach, like I'm pretty invisible, right? Like nobody mm-hmm. gives me credit for writing their freelance, their resume. And I've had people right. ask me like, don't you like, or, or when I've been a copywriter for other people and, you know, done their blog, they're like, but don't you want to be on the byline? And I'm like, no, I don't care. Like I, I don't, I have enough ways that I feel like my work is recognized that I don't need all this credit like emotionally. Right. And so, yeah. And I'm not a limelight person, which is ironic to do a podcast because that's not me at all. But yeah, what you're saying rings so true for me too. Like you just get fulfillment from seeing these nonprofits make a difference that you don't need your name on a plaque. Yeah. I want their name on it. I want them to shine. Yeah. But you get, I'm sure you get creative outlet, you know, recognition other ways, like the podcast and I write poetry books actually. And so I get that kind of, yeah, thanks. I know it's kind of nerdy. Like I used to think people who wrote poetry were kind of silly. That's kind of, but but now I do it. So, so that's like what I do for myself, you know, putting Mm -hmm. away, like, taking a break from all my other kind of writings, but anyways, so. Yeah. And I think it's good to have those outlets too. It's easy, especially for me, I get kind of tunnel vision on my work and I forget to stop and take a breath and just do something 
else that I enjoy completely away from computer or all the typical writing to do things for myself. So yeah, that's a good reminder. It's not easy though. No. Because we're busy (laughs) with our families and our work. Yes. How do you juggle family and work and that constant tug of war? I know, especially when mine were little, but even still, there was that feeling of if I'm working, I feel like I should be doing family stuff. And if I'm doing family, I feel like I should be working when you're at home in it all the time. I feel like this is the story of so many people, so many women live, like working women. Um, Yes. Well, okay. So I work from home. Obviously my husband works from home. He's, he's not a free, and a lot of people work from home now post COVID, but even before COVID. And so people were like, this is great. And we're like, we've been doing this all along, but he's not a freelancer. He has a full-time job. He could be a freelancer, but he doesn't need to. That makes sense. He has marketable skills and website building and everything. And so we are just really good about, you know, he works during the day. I watch the kids and then he watches the kids and, and, you know, it's not, it's not easy. And I've really had to limit the amount of clients I take, you know, set up a waiting list and, it's funny because ever like so much, I'm like, next month, I'm not going to work at all. And he's like, okay, yes, you will. And, <laughs> and I understand not everyone, you know, some people don't have that option. Um, right. But you just really, if you're married, you really have to communicate with your spouse and, you know, he values my work, whether that's work, work or working, you know, taking care of our children. And I value all kinds of work he does. And then I have to clean, of course, because cleaning is so important to me. And so there's no magic formula. (laughs) Like I I often think, you know, this word balance is so elusive, right? Yes, I agree. And it's sometimes it's kind of like a cliche, like work-life balance. I'm like, that's not a Mm -hmm. thing. I know. But I've, I've heard this metaphor of like, if you're balancing on a log, like in a lake, like you always have to keep moving. There's no state of just being still, you have to keep moving to keep it balanced. Or if you're juggling, you have to keep going. And so being mindful of the seasons and, you know, there was a time when my freelancing work was really picking up and I kind of got this taste of what I could do as far as the kind of money I could earn. And I had this thought like, man, if I didn't have kids right now, I could earn so much. And then I was like, yeah, that's true. But you have a family and you don't want to like see them as impediments to your freelancing. And so I kind of have to switch that mindset. I'm sure there will be some time in my life when I will work more full time, but we have seasons and different priorities and values and there's no perfect solution. You just kind of do the best you can day by day. (laughs) Yes, for sure. And the seasons do kind of make a difference in that and the amount of work and the type of work and the amount of commitment you can put to it. I think it's important to consciously recognize that and make it a conscious decision and not just by default and then look back and regret it and think, oh, I should have spent more time on that or I should have not worked so hard and spent more time with the kids or whatever it is, make it your conscious choice. Yeah, yeah. And understanding when you're getting stressed, when you are overbooking, Mm -hmm. when, you know, I've had the experience where I took on too many clients and then my work suffered because I think of it as like, again, the fish metaphor, like some of my fish went bad because I had too many fish. 
you know, and I couldn't cook them all. And so you have to keep your supply manageable. Yes. And probably your family suffered for that too, because yes. you were trying to keep up. Yes. And I was yes. tired and stressed and I was like all this, you know, right. so, and, and that's another thing when you do get busy, you raise your rates because supply and demand, the supply of your time and energy is limited. And if there's a higher demand, then the prices go up. So that's another way to deal with, you know, having more work than you can fulfill. Yes. And that's not something to be afraid of. I know a lot of people are scared to do that, but there are ways you can raise them and give your current clients notice or work out different ways to word that to where it's not just such a strict, scary thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I feel like I'm kind of unique as a, maybe not as a freelancer in that I don't have a ton of long-term clients. I have right. some. You're just on the platform. Well, yeah. And I mean, I have, I have other clients come through other channels and Upwork, but I'm kind of a one-off project where we work together for a week or a few weeks and then, you know, good luck. See you later. And sometimes they right. come back because like their brother needs their resume. So a lot, I feel like the bread and butter of the freelancing world is on, you know, ongoing clients because then mm -hmm. you have more of a steady source of income and you don't have to worry about where's my next sale. But I actually really like the one-off sort of gigs because that mm -hmm. means that if there is a month or a couple of weeks where we're out of town or I'm tired, then I can take that off where I, I couldn't as much if I had long-term clients. So I, I like the gig. There are pros and cons to both. And the way you've got it set up, you've got that consistent source of those gigs. So you're not constantly running out trying to find more. Right. You've got that definite inflow right. in the pipeline. Yes, the pipeline. I love that word. <laughs> yes. And it's nice when it's full. <laughs> yep. And then you just take the ones you can. Yeah. Along with the seasons, sometimes it's knowing when to let go of something for a season. That Maybe it's not forever, but for a season, maybe my laundry's not going to be put away. It'll be clean. We'll have clothes, right? but they're not all folded and in the drawers like yeah. they should be. Or, you know, just certain things that what's the highest priority in this season? Do I need to be in that volunteer board or that activity right now? Or does that need to go for a season and reevaluate later? So it's okay to have that fluctuate exactly. as you're in different parts and to build in room for yourself. And, you know, there's no shame. And even when you drop the ball a little, we're doing the best we can as moms who work. And so have grace for with yourself, even when you don't, you're not perfect. Yes. I think everyone struggles with that to some degree, especially when we become parents, moms or dads, that we need to give ourselves a little bit of grace. And that's hard to learn, but it's important. It's so much less stressful when we can learn to do that. And more like, it's so easy to see the things we're doing wrong, but my husband always says, we need to recognize what we're doing right. You know, he was yes. like, these kids are loved. They have food, they have clean diapers, they have a roof over their heads, and they know their parents love them. Like, sounds good to me. <laughs> right. I know. You're not going to be perfect, but you can be good yes. and you can be the best you can. Yep. And the best parents you can. Yeah. Good reminders. Hey. Well, what is something that has been meaningful to you over the years or recently? Well, I know I mentioned Laura Briggs. I love her. I love. She has some great oh stuff. Oh my gosh. She's just, and, and I love how she's branded herself as the freelance coach. Yeah. I love the free content she puts out, uh, her videos. 
tons of stuff on her website. And then I, I bought both of her books. The first one I think is really good for new people to the field, which is, I think it's just called starting a freelance writing business, everything you knew need to scale from scratch or something. And it just really lays it out of you're talking with clients, you're converting clients, you're setting prices, you're collecting payment, you're always marketing. And I just feel like she's so good at explaining kind of the nuts and bolts of this world. Yeah. I'll link to that in the show notes okay. because that would be a good resource. And it's yeah. so helpful to have someone like that. Even if you've never met her, it's nice having a mentor like that. And we tend to think of mentor as somebody you have to meet with every so often, but yeah. mentors can be, you know, a podcaster or a an author yeah. or someone that you look up to that's a little farther along in what you want to do. Yeah. So well, and in, it's good that you found her. Yeah, and I mean, in writing a book, she can reach so many more people. And I know she does do like one-on-one -on -one coaching, but not everyone can afford her prices, which is great, but I can read her book and get a lot from that. Yeah. And then you can apply it to your situation exactly. from there. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this has been so good. If people want to connect with you or if they need help with a resume or if they just want to talk freelancing yeah. and have someone say, it's okay, you can do this. Where can we find you online? Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, Catherine Bright, CPRW, which is Certified Professional Resume Writer. That's probably... And she's fantastic. Oh, thank you. That's probably the best place to find me. And then if you are on Upwork needing my services, you can find me Catherine B. If you type in my name and then, you know, resume cover letter or whatever, but you'll be sure to find me on LinkedIn. Awesome. Yep. I'll link to that in the notes okay. too. Thank you so much. This has been so fun talking freelancing and the behind the scenes challenges from somebody that truly gets it and yeah. has been in the trenches too. And yeah. it's been a lot of fun. All right. Thank you so much, Teresa. Are you ready to learn more? I have a quiz called, Do You Have What It Takes to Be a Grant Writer? Hop over there and take that and see what your results say. Go to TeresaHuff.com slash quiz. My name's spelled T-E-R-E-S-A-H-U-F-F dot com slash quiz. If you love this show and you learn something new about being the type of grant writer the world needs so you can create a ripple in your community, please go leave me a review over on Apple Podcasts today. Thanks for listening. Now go change your world.